Hello everyone, this is Maria Lipman in our Opponents Eurasia podcast featuring a series of discussions about Russian Eurasia, about the region's politics, and about other Russian Eurasia-related topics. After mass political protests in 2011 and 12, the Kremlin has increasingly relied on ideological instruments in keeping the Russian society under control. The government does not have a consistent ideology, but in the past decade its rhetoric has undoubtedly become more ideological. In the most general terms, the government's ideology can be described as conservative, but this conservatism has many varieties. A range of ideological entrepreneurs, while remaining loyal to the government, profess different, sometimes irreconcilable kinds of conservatism, varying from monarchism to Stalinism. The government refrains from concrete pronouncements regarding ideas and values, nor does it have a special authority responsible for formulating or disseminating an appropriate ideology. There are certain ideas shared by a broad range of loyalists, one of the most important among them being anti-Western perceptions. In March, Nikolai Patrushev, the Secretary of the State Security Council, an official believed to be very close to Vladimir Putin, warned about the West, I quote, inculcating alien ideals and norms, unquote, an activity that Patrushev sees as a threat to social accord in Russia, its cultural sovereignty, and political stability. Similar statements have been also voiced by other government officials. In the political sphere, connections with the West are seen as suspicious or treasonous. Unwelcome groups or individuals are commonly branded as foreign agents and find themselves under tight pressure or worse. Meanwhile, in the cultural and moral realm, the borderline between appropriate and alien is blurred. Pop culture seems to be a good illustration. Despite sporadic attacks at inappropriate or alien artists, this sphere is fairly diverse, dynamic, and it seems mostly free. We will talk about it with Alexander Gorbachev, who has been for many years a keen observer and in many ways a participant of the Russian popular music scene. Hello, Alexander. Hello. So my first question is actually about yourself. Can you please say a few words about your role in the Russian music scene, your experience? You're obviously much more than just a music critic of many years. Well, I mean, I'm not sure I'm much more, but maybe a little bit more. I have worked for years as a music journalist. I started in the early 2000s and pretty quickly, to my own surprise, got to write for Afisha magazine, which was at that time maybe the most influential arts and culture magazine in Moscow. And I spent nine years working there. I eventually became its editor-in-chief. And I guess as a music critic, my name may have become associated with the the so-called new Russian music scene, the new wave of independent bands, cosmopolitan bands that started to appear around late 2000s. And I wrote about them. I actually organized their gigs. I published their music as a curator of a music label and so on. So, so yeah. And uh, then after Afisha, I spent a couple of years studying journalism in the United States. Then I came back and I worked for Medusa, which for the last six, seven years has been maybe the biggest Russian independent news outlet. And I, I worked as an editor, but also wrote about music. Uh, and now 
I have like many different projects, but music-wise, I am a consultant and kind of publishing curator for the Institute of Music Initiatives, which is a new nonprofit uh, dedicated to the development of uh, the Russian music industry. It appeared last year, and actually, it's a pretty pretty new uh, development. There was no nonprofits concerned with the Russian popular music before. So, yeah, so, I mean, that's probably more than enough, actually, I think. <laughs> yeah, and probably uh, you are indeed uh, much more than just a music critic. And uh, you are in this capacity, actually, in an excellent position to actually confirm or deny my characterization of the music scene as mostly free. Do you agree or do you disagree with that? And how does it compare with the situation before 2011? when the government was mostly uninterested in issues such as values, norms, and tastes. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, I guess I agree. And I think if we compare, there's nothing much to compare because the situation has not changed considerably. It has changed to a certain extent, but not considerably. You cannot say that, you know, before 2011, it was possible to, I don't know, sing political songs in the biggest uh, venues in Moscow, and now it's not possible. It was possible and it is possible now. But I mean, I would say that if we're looking from the political perspectives, there are different ways of trying to control political statements in music nowadays. I guess the first one would be when these political statements are perceived as a kind of collateral damage. I mean, uh, these are situations like when uh, some artist is playing a gig somewhere and then he makes a political statement and the organizers of this gig or the owners of the venue say, okay, no, we don't want this here. So please move, move on, find another venue. This just happened a couple of months ago with the Noise MC, who is maybe one of the most prominent uh, rappers in Russia who talks about politics and uh, he he was scheduled to play at the stadium venue called VTB Arena. So it's owned by Vnestork Bank, which is the state bank where we were loyal. And at some point it turned out that they canceled his show. They basically, you cannot cancel his, uh, his show. They just said, you know, we don't want to have it here. So he rescheduled it, he moved it somewhere else which is, I guess, still fine. He still can play, but, you know, these things can happen when, when you have a venue that is affiliated with the state and or just people who don't want to have any problems. They don't want to, I don't know, receive calls from somebody who asks them some questions. It's, it's easier just to not have these kind of shows. But these shows can happen elsewhere. There are still lots of places that are happy to have these kind of shows because they bring money in and whatnot. So this is the first thing. The second thing is, I would say, ideological. So the Kremlin does not try to contain music directly, usually, or ever, actually. But it has an ideology, all this kind of crypto-conservative ideology that kind of trickles down the society and eventually gives birth to different agents who try to enforce this ideology and enforce it sometimes on music. So in the last years, I don't know, three or four years, all around Russia, these parental committees, like self-proclaimed parental committees started popping up that write open letters. They write letters to 
police to attorney general of the region saying, you know, we have the concert of such and such and we cannot have it here because he or she thinks about sex, about drugs, it's immoral, it will affect our children badly, so please check the show if it's legal, blah, blah, blah. So what happens usually is that, you know, the attorney's office announced that, you know, we will check this show. And usually the check leads to nothing because the, the shows are not illegal, they are 18 plus, so at least formally there are no teenagers there, although usually there are lots of teenagers there. But basically, yeah. But some promoters who organize local concerts, they get scared if they, you know, they receive a call from the police saying, you know, we will come to your place and, you know, have a check. And sometimes these shows get canceled just because, again, some people don't want any problems. They don't want police in their venue checking things, even if they know that, you know, this check will probably lead nowhere. And the last thing that sometimes happen is kind of non-systemic direct action. Basically, when somebody in the government gets pissed off by some musician and tries to persecute him in some way. This is, I think, what happened with the, the famous case of I Speak band. Two years ago, they released a video for the song called uh, No More Death. The song itself is kind of political because uh, the lyrics go, you know, you will, be, you will be beaten on the street and it's obvious that they mean police violence. And the video had the members of the band basically eating human flesh in front of the FSB building. Mm -hmm. Uh, so, so what happened next? Basically, they go on tour and they suddenly, suddenly learn that, you know, pressure is put by the government agents, by the police, by the FSB agents all around the country on the venues to cancel the show. They are being followed, all kinds of stuff. You know, they didn't get detained or anything. Basically, they could not do what they do the way they are used to do it. You know, their tour was kind of disrupted, even though it proceeded and, you know, they still played a lot of shows, even though in some cities they couldn't find a venue to play because one venue canceled, they moved on to the second venue, it canceled too. And, you know, it continued up to the point that they started actually doing secret shows and uh, just sending personal messages to people who bought tickets uh, on VK, on different messengers to say that, you know, we are having our show in this, I don't know, apartment or whatever. But still, they weren't arrested or anything like that. And after this tour ended, they didn't have any problems. And if anything, this show and this case actually very much boosted their popularity. They're now much more popular group who still sing political songs in big venues. So this wasn't any like systemic action by the Kremlin, you know, let's suppress all the bands who play political songs. I'm pretty sure I don't have any proof, but my theory is that basically some guy in the federal office of FSB just, you know, for some reason watched this video and was very angry and called somebody and said, you know, like, do something. Uh, and then and then nothing basically so mm. fortunately they are still uh, free and uh, play their music and it actually got even more political so yeah so basically it is free generally but if you decide to to sing about politics you can eventually have some problems but probably these problems won't shut down your career entirely Okay. Still, you mentioned mm, I Speak and uh, what happened to them. As far as I remember, back at that time, they were not the only one to fall under pressure. 
I think back a couple of years ago, several hip hoppers also fell under pressure and their concerts were canceled. I think quite a few concerts were canceled. But then at the end of the day, as uh, you were telling us about I Speak, nothing much happened to them. And even if I remember correctly, they had defenders, they found defenders among even high ranking officials. Yeah, I mean... I'm, again, uh, I don't have any proof, but I'm pretty sure that this was just a coincidence. You know, that, that several different events happened at the same time for different reasons. So there was the speak thing, and they probably just pissed off some guy at the FSB. There was these cancellations of rappers' concerts, and they were not political. Again, this these were like for moral reasons. You know, we cannot have these concerts because these guys sing for our children and teach them to do drugs and have sex and whatnot. And this was mostly the doing of these parental committees I mentioned. And then the, there was a very, like, I, I guess, the case of rapper Husky being detained in, in Krasnodar for no particular reason, really. Like, he jumped on a car because his show got cancelled and he was detained for two days and then he was released because everybody, like, Everybody was writing about it. All the influential rappers said, you know, guys, we cannot have it. Let's do the non-profit show in his support. This show was very huge. So he got released and again, nothing happened to him. And like last year, he released a song about actually being raped by Putin. And it's a very good song, actually. It's a very good metaphor of, you know, what happens to regular Russians day to day. And fortunately, again, he is still with us. He performs. As far as I know, there were no repercussions to the song. So, so yeah, this was kind of a strange coincidence of several events uh, that created an impression that, you know, the government now clamps down uh, on music. And I think the government was the, I don't know, the high government, the presidential administration or whoever, was as surprised as anybody by this because they did not plan it, it just happened. So then, yeah, there was this uh, thing where, uh, like, Putin had this meeting of his cultural council, I think, and they talked about it with uh, some pop producers, and he actually, he said something like, you know, yeah, this is not very moral, they sing about sex and drugs, but, you know, we don't need to, like, take action, we, we, we don't want any censorship, but... It's a usual blah blah from Putin because, like, when sometimes when he says we don't need any censorship, it means the exact opposite. But in this case, actually, right after he said that, everything stopped. You know, all this action stopped. And again, since then, there have been some sporadic events when, you know, somebody's show gets canceled or some people get checked by the police or whatever. But Generally, yeah, it's just business as usual. Okay, so you mentioned parental committees and this concern that they voice, that they have voiced on many occasions about the inappropriate contents of the songs. Actually, in the past couple of years, both pollsters and commentators have spoken about broadening rift between younger Russians and Russia's older generations. This, of course, applies to the use of the internet, but also to the cultural and moral perceptions. And the younger Russians and the older Russians actually get farther and farther apart, so it seems. How does this uh, affect the music scene? Young people are consumers of the kind of art that you've been talking about, hip-hop, what have you. So do they feel totally independent? Are they themselves not concerned about what parental committees say? What about the musicians? Some of them apparently are also pretty young. Yeah. 
Well, I mean, this is a very huge question, obviously. First of all, I don't think these parental committees are real phenomenon. I mean, usually this is a doing of, I don't know, like several lunatics. I'm sorry, this is an offensive word, but <laughs> I cannot uh, say anything better. Like, it's not that, you know, you have some kind of older age movement to suppress uh, Russian rap. No, it's just some people who, I guess, watch television too much and want to take action. But definitely one can feel the difference between the, I guess, aesthetic attitudes of the new generation and the previous generation. I actually wrote about it, a huge article a couple of years ago, which kind of was about how this cultural shift happened and how we can characterize this new generation. But mostly it's not about a social attitudes or politics, even though I guess one of the characteristics of the new generation is that it's, for the most part, very inclusive. So these are people who like pro-LGBT, not necessarily actively, but they don't see any problem with LGBT people or LGBT movement who are generally very inclusive. They, 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 they are ready to, you know, talk about discriminated groups to some extent. Again, uh, I wouldn't overstate that because for the most part, Russian musicians aren't actually interested in social questions or like political things. And it has been like that for last 20 years, I guess this is where the government strategy of, you know, turning people off from politics worked. Very few Russian musicians actually want to directly sing about politics, not because they're afraid, but because they're not interested. They think it's, it's, it's a boring place where nothing happens and it's better to find their inspiration elsewhere. I mean, it's again, a big overstatement, but in this format, it's you know, I, 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 it's hard to go into details. So this is one thing. The other thing is basically these are, again, again, this is probably about inclusivity. The people are much more open-minded. So for example, whereas for the previous generation of Russian musicians, a lot of kind of cultural oppositions were important. Uh, for example, rock music versus pop music, rock being authentic, pop being artificial and commercial, stuff like that. These days, again, anything goes. So like contemporary Russian pop stars are equally inspired by, you know, like uh, Western alternative R&B stuff for, for small audiences and, you know, Russian pop music from the 90s, which I don't know, 10 years ago would have been considered a, a blasphemy, you know, to to like some, I don't know, the band called Druki Vierk, for example, or, or other pop stars of the 90s. And now they are one of the most influential bands for the cultural landscape. Because the new generation kind of thinks there is nothing to be ashamed of. It's all in our blood, in our cultural code. So we will accept it and we will use it to create new things. And yeah, age-wise, Thanks to the internet, musicians now can become stars very, very young age. There are quite popular rappers who like profiled in the media, who are still in, in school, in high school. Magnetochka, probably the biggest uh, young Russian pop star of the last two or three years. She was, I think, 20 or 19 when she released her album that, you know, kind of signified this cultural shift I was talking about. So, so yeah, these people are sometimes very young and they, their audience is also sometimes very, very young and then kind of create a new, a new world for themselves. But 
they live in a not a separate reality but definitely in a reality that that is connected to the actual day-to-day Russian political and social reality in a very complicated way because you know these songs sometimes these songs are sung by kind of free people most of the times who exist in in a not free society but more often than not they do not like to think about it it's fine you know it's it's just like that so i, I know this this was probably very confusing but it's a very big question so probably this just uh, some accents that i came to remember right now <laughs> I think you put it in a really striking way that young people live in a different world. And increasingly, indeed, this is maybe not in these terms. This is what pollsters and commentators have been talking about, that they are increasingly different from their parents and especially their grandparents. And one thing that I think makes them very different, and this is registered in the polls, is the perception of the West. Against the background of what has become an anti-Western hysteria, first and foremost in the political realm, but not only. A younger Russians, according to national polls, take a more positive perception of the West, certainly much more positive than their parents or grandparents. How do Western musical trends and the Western stars affect the tastes and preferences of young Russians? Do they lean toward domestic performers? Not necessarily. So how does it factor in on the Russian uh, music scene? Yeah, so this whole attitude to the West thing is kind of different when we talk about music because there has never been any, like, hateful perception towards Western music in the post-Soviet popular music. Actually, I would say that the performers of, you know, the 90s and 2000s, they were more reverent towards the Western trends than the current Russian performers because they, there was kind of a general perception that, you know, Russian music and Russian music industry basically is not as as good, uh, as innovative, as progressive as the Western music industry. So, so people looked up to the West. Yeah, they, they they tried to imitate what the Western people did. Sometimes well, sometimes not very well enough. But this was a relationship more like kind of colonial way, but, you know, self-inflicted colonialism, you you could say that, you know, they, they, these performers, they said, they, they said to themselves, you know, like here in Russia, we cannot do the sound as well as they do in London, so we will try to do it as well as them, even though we cannot, and we will try to fit in the Western music industry to a certain extent. We will, we will try to play and perform as if we are the part of the Western world culturally. And the current generation is this kind of post-2014 generation, which basically accepted the reality that Russia cannot think, and Russian performers cannot think about themselves as if they're, I don't know, in Sweden, where the Swedish music industry is comfortably incorporated into the Western music industry in general. No, nobody, like, it doesn't work like that. Russia is an isolated country, politically and socially, and nobody perceives Russian music performers as their counterparts in the West. So, actually, the current generation of Russian musicians are more eager to research their own roots, the 
you know, the forgotten Soviet popular and unpopular music, the, the Russian music of the 90s, and so on. Of course, the Western music is also a part of their cultural code just because these people were brought up in a kind of cosmopolitan cultural context. They were born with the internet, so for them there was never a problem to, you know, get and listen to the latest trends of the American or British or, I don't know, Brazilian popular music. It's all there in the, in the cloud right now, before that, in your mp3 player or whatever. So I think there is no hatred, definitely. There is no animosity towards the West, but also there is no reverence. I would say that the current generation of Russian music performers just take what they want from the West and make it their own. And then don't, they don't try to act uh, as if they want to become a part of the Western context. Okay. If that makes sense. Okay, so my last question to you, and you actually mentioned the money factor early on in our conversation. Can you talk about that? The commercial factor of um, pop music, if this is the right way to describe the scene. Can the commercial success serve as a safeguard against the government morality mongers? Do you think that uh, the government is more tolerant toward musicians, as you've been talking about, because of that, because they are commercially successful? Or maybe this is one of the reasons why for this tolerance? I, mm, I don't think money is the issue here, even though it's true that, you know, because of the streaming services, Russian music industry actually is now an actual industry, you know, and musicians for the first time in the history of Russia, Soviet Union's musicians are actually able to get like real money from their records, because before that, nobody ever got anything from records, uh, except maybe from the biggest, biggest stars. It was all shows. You had to play shows to, to earn and to live if you wanted to be a professional musician. So now you can record hit songs and uh, not play live music at all. But if we're talking about the government, I don't know their logic, but I think the government probably sees this whole music scene as an outlet for young people to, you know, to express their energy, which otherwise that they would might might want to express in the streets to express the aspirations or frustrations or whatever and definitely it's better to express that for the government is that they express them in a club or in a stadium where the festival is held or wherever than to you know try to go into politics so i don't think that the money is the issue here and i mean frankly i don't see any reason why would the, like if, if the government wanted to, I don't know, like ban any musician that, you know, is uh, big and big commercially, I don't think they would have any like problems with that. I mean, technically, you know, it's hard to actually technically ban a musician in Russia, but you can probably ban, you know, his songs on YouTube and whatnot. But it's really hard, I think, to ban music because you can ban shows, but the shows can be secret. It's very hard to ban records these days on the internet because it's all in the cloud. It's all in the actually Western streaming services, except YouTube. Like, I don't know about any censorship that, you know, Apple Music or Spotify does for the government. It's actually an interesting subject. I just thought about it, you know, like 
uh, we know that you know YouTube uh, is deleting videos on the request of Russian government censorship institution, but I haven't ever heard of you know anybody deleting actually like songs like digital files like sound files not not video clips but sound files from any streaming service so yeah i don't think money is the issue here but uh, definitely there's much more money in the russian music industry uh, now than it was i don't know seven years ago okay well thank you thank you for drawing a rather upbeat picture this is quite a contrast <laughs> from okay. my other guests who are usually very grim thank you very much okay <laughs> Fair enough. We, we will put our faith in, faith in music, I guess. Okay. <laughs> As always. Okay. Okay. Thank, Thank you. you.